And so the expectation I do set is I do tell a CEO that for me, the most important relationship for a CMO to be successful is with the CEO. That because we have to work together in order to, you've got a vision, you've got a, a mission, you, you believe the company has a sense of purpose. It's my job to work with you to make sure that we can tell that story in a very compelling way, both to the market, but as well as internally to, to the employees. And that I will be your standard bearer for carrying that out. Hi, and welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be your host and bartender today. I had an awesome chat with Rashmi Vital, who is the CMO at Productive. I have known Rashmi for quite some time now, and we had a chance to meet in person at uh, the end of 2021 and knew she would be a great guest. What I didn't know at the time is that she was taking on a new CMO role, which is her current role at Productive. And I wanted to speak with her about what are some lessons learned being a two-time CMO about going in on your first 30 days. Uh, we dove into what you should be looking to uncover in the interview process, who you should be speaking with to set expectations, and how to create alignment amongst your new marketing team that you've inherited in those first 30 to 60 days. Uh, grab a drink and relax and join me as I speak with Rushmi from Productive. Hi, Rushmi. Welcome to SAS Half Full. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. I know. Last time we saw each other was actually in person, in the flesh. We were at an empowered CMO retreat together in lovely and wild Tucson, but we had a chance to spend quite a bit of time together and we're fortunate to get seated together at dinner on the final night. And you were gracious enough to come on and be my guest on SAS Half Hole. So I appreciate it. We did send you a cocktail kit and we laughed uh, pre-recording because it is lovely, but very complex. So you need to dedicate time before you're going to make that cocktail kit. I am staying true to the process and I am drinking my new favorite seltzer. It's called Ranch Water. And it was sold at a, a bar recently, and I loved it so much that I uh, tracked it down and bought it. So it's a pretty just basic seltzer, but it is my new favorite. And just to let you know, I've got something in hand as well. You are not alone. Thank you. I appreciate that. We had approached you for SAS Half Full, and here is the reason why. Rushmi took over as the CMO at Productive about 60 days ago, but I had known Rushmi as the CMO at her previous company. And it got me thinking, we have a lot of you who are listening to the show who are high level marketers and maybe looking to take that next step and become a B2B SaaS CMO and or looking to switch companies as is the life of a SaaS CMO and thought it might be an interesting topic to hear from Rushmi on what are some lessons learned being a two-time CMO and specifically what that looks like in those first 30 to 60 days uh, so that you can maybe help some of our listeners know what to expect or how to navigate that to be most successful. So before we dive in there, though, I do want to learn a little bit more about you. Could you give us a quick background on how you got into B2B SaaS to start? Wow, great question. I've been in the software industry for a very long time. And if I was to state how long, I, I might be a little embarrassed. But let's just say Clinton was president. That being said, it's just a natural progression. I think a couple of things in my career I've always done is 
I've always wanted to be part of companies that are driving cutting edge, leading innovative product solutions. And in doing so, you're going to naturally find yourself in SaaS companies because that is really the momentum has shifted towards SaaS for the number of reasons of why SaaS has grown. And so for me, I think it's just, uh, it wasn't that I was seeking to be in a SaaS company. I think it was more of that's just naturally where you were going to gravitate towards because today's cutting edge software solutions are predominantly SaaS. Makes sense. And so you were a, a CMO prior to taking on your role at Productive. Could you give us a quick overview of what Productive does so that we have that as a level set? Productive is uh, a leading provider of SaaS intelligence for really better SaaS management. And if you think about the proliferation of SaaS applications in every organization today, it's becoming more and more unmanageable to first know how many SaaS applications you have within your organization, and then be able to do very kind of critical things with it from the perspective of everything from more proactive and smarter governance to faster IT operations, to then even thinking about how are we delivering on an exceptional employee experience? Because in today's hybrid workforce, they have to be able to easily connect into the applications they need on a day-to-day basis in order to be um, the most productive that they can be. And yes, pun is intended. Productive is really focused on driving better optimization and utilization of those SaaS investments that organizations have made. And since this is uh, listening, it is productive one V, no E. So it's not cute with the double Vs, but certainly following SaaS protocol and ditching the E. So productive and with the V. Thank you for that overview. So there is, I'm not going to ask you the question of like, what's the one piece of advice or the one thing that CMOs need to do to be successful? At best, I'm sure the answers are, are wide and gray, but I wanted to maybe start with Even before you accept a role as CMO, is a lot of the groundwork in terms of expectations and what you need to do to be successful, or or is some of that groundwork laid in the interview process and what you are discovering through the interview process? Or do you find you you really come in and it is uh, a big, vast unknown as to what you're getting into? I think, and as I've been, again, going through this, even just at the executive level and then moving into a CMO role, and then I think also where you are in your career, you have to have a point of view, like you you have to know what it is that you want and what you're also seeking whenever you're evaluating a new adventure, a, a new company. And, and yeah, I think that interview process is super important. I think it's important because for me, one of the key things that is is critical for me is that I want to work with great people. I really want to enjoy the, the people that I work with. I want to know that, of course, we have to work together to go build something. And so the interview process is not the only element, but a key element in determining that. And just as much as you're getting to learn, they're getting to learn a, a lot about you, you're getting to learn a lot about them. And I think there's something to be said with a lot of times people say, gosh, the interview process is everybody's on their best behavior. Everybody's trying to sell the other on one another. But I think there's always going to be that element of show me, show me what you've done. Show me what you're thinking. Let's talk through that, whether that's through a presentation, a panel or whatnot. CMOs are frequently asked to give an idea of what you're going to bring to the table. 
And that's when I take that opportunity to really say, hey, this is who you're going to get. I'm going to show you what you're going to get if I was in seat. And then I am going to learn based on the questions that you ask, or you may not ask, or the interaction that I see, I don't see who's interacting, whether this is going to, whether we could play this out and I could see if this is going to work for if I do wind up getting the position. So I think that interview process is really important. And I would say it varies quite a bit from company to company. I would imagine so. Uh, I recently saw in uh, one of the Slack communities of which I'm a part, uh, a discussion around I'm interviewing for, I don't think it was a CMO role. It maybe was a, a VP of marketing role, but where they were asked to do some work upfront, provide a plan or campaign or whatever the case is. And a very robust discussion on this is my IP and I should be paid for this. And I don't want to just give it away. What do you feel is the appropriate level of ask and an appropriate knowledge to give away when you are asked to create a, whether that's a a plan or a strategy as part of the interview process? Look, I think it's work. I'm not going to lie. Like you have to put the work in, but how can I say this? I think that there's a way you can do it that can share your philosophy and your approach without giving away the answer because you don't know the company. I mean, I think, first of all, I think there's a certain level of it that's, and again, I think it depends on the size of startup and we can get into it. You're going to be asked different things. For sure. I think I think that also depends on the type of CMO they're looking for. How experienced of a CMO or you a CMO that's coming in to drive high growth to get them to the next rounds of funding, or you a CMO that's gonna help get them to IPO. These things are these things matter in terms of what you're gonna be asked to, to do and the type of conversations you're gonna have. But I've done this in such a way I have a formula because I have a philosophy and an approach. And so I, I have a formula, I talk them through my philosophy and my approach. And I use examples to, to illustrate, to give an idea of what I would bring to the table, but I don't give them a full out marketing plan. First off, I think that's unrealistic because I don't know your business. I don't know anything. I don't know your business. I can only, there's only so much I'm going to absorb in the few hours I have between my real job and this job to then prepare for that. And it would be really presumptuous of me to sit there and say, here's a full out baked plan. And I've not talked to your salespeople. I've not talked to your customers. I haven't talked to your CS team. So when I'm being asked that, I think a lot of times it also is an indicator of oftentimes that's coming at at the request of a CEO who's probably a first time CEO or is not as experienced of an executive. And they're just really nervous. This CMO hires a big hire and they just, they're not really familiar with the process. Yeah, that makes sense. It it sounds like it is totally within the bounds to tell them the why and the what, but not the how and to not be expected the how. Um, And it makes me laugh on the marketing plan of how could I? I'm not equipped. We get asked that even on the PR side of the house when we're presenting to potential clients is it'll be be an RFP or just to sent directly. Um, and we'd also like to see whatever's Q2 PR plan and PR strategy. And it's the same thing. Like, How are we supposed to do that? We don't have near enough information. Can high level, right? Based on, again, the in my case, sometimes it's the 30 minute or hour conversation that we've had. And it always makes me laugh. I'm like, I can, but boy, is it not going to be comprehensive or accurate? It's just don't know enough yet. So that is uh, a good advice. I want to ask about 
expectation setting with the CEO. And again, I realize that this is really CEO dependent. You might have a CEO who uh, grew up in marketing. You might have a CEO who grew up in product and their views on marketing are very different. But what advice do you have as a new CMO initially with expectation setting for the role with the CEO? So I think this comes out through the interview process. Like you're hopefully having multiple conversations with your CEO in the interview process. Like you're talking about these things in the interview process. You're understanding what is the strategy? What is the vision? What is the mission? What is the strategy? Like, where do you want to go? And through those conversations, you should be exchanging of ideas. I do best when we're going in and we're ideating together. Like I know that there's going to be uh, a good energy between us and a good relationship if, if we're already getting in I could tell very quickly whether some is respectful of this position, respectful of me, and we're ideating on what we can do to advance the business. And if you're ideating and you're being each other's strategic thought partner, then that's going to carry well for the expectation setting once you are in seat. And so then because you're already building trust, you're building trust and you're giving each other comfort that we can have these conversations. And so the expectation I do set is I do tell a CEO that for me, the most important relationship for a CMO to be successful is with the CEO. That because we have to work together in order to, you've got a vision, you've got a a mission, you, you believe the company has a sense of purpose. It's my job to work with you to make sure that we can tell that story in a very compelling way, both to the market, but as well as internally to to the employees. And that I will be your standard bearer for carrying that out. And we have to be in lockstep because I will come back to you. uh, And if I'm seeing shifts in the market, if you're seeing shifts in the market of our sales folks, like from our go-to-market teams to our product teams, if they're seeing shifts in the market, we have to have that dialogue and say, how are we adapting to that? So yeah, so I, I do believe that is such an important relationship. And you set expectations by, through that interview process leading up to those first 30 days, some people say, oh, well, give me your 30, 60, 90 plan. A lot of people ask for that. Interestingly enough, I wasn't asked for that here at Productive. Because we had so many conversations, I felt that my relationship with the CEO, he's like... Uh, I 110% trust you and I know you know what you're doing. Let's just work together to make sure I can help support you as best as I can so we can make this possible. What about those first 30 days with the other members of the C-suite? As you're being introduced to the COO and the CFO, how do you establish equal business value as a member of the the C-suite? What does that relationship building look like those first 30 days? It's really important. Like This one is understanding where the other is coming from. Like Where are they? In, in, in their perspective in terms of where the company is at and in their goals and ambitions. And then what are mine? What, and what is the mar- marketing department's kind of contribution to that as well? And so it's just, I think it's a lot of understanding. There's a little bit of, you got to get to know one another, but at the same time, understand one another and then understand each other's goals and objectives. And then make sure that we have aligned goals and objectives that we're all working towards. I think one of the things too is listening. I think active listening is really important. Not coming in and just having and just vomiting all your ideas down at once. It's really active listening, talking to not only just the, every e-staff member in, in establishing that, that kind of trusted relationship, 
but then also talking to a lot of people at the company and meeting as many people as you can. And as you, as we were talking about before um, we got started here in today's hybrid workforce with everybody spread out remote, it's really hard to make those personal connections. And they sometimes people only know you through your Zoom personality and not necessarily through how you are in real life. And I think it's equally important though, to get those uh, connects and that FaceTime and make sure that you can learn something and, and actively listen. If I'm in a, we use donut here. So if we get donut with uh, employees and uh, at random, one of the things I really try to do is I really try to say, not much. And I just ask a lot of questions. And I just want to learn about the person sitting across from me. And the more I do that, then I think the more I get to understand the state of, of the company, but also the culture and where people's minds are at. You'd mentioned active listening and not going in and just saying all of your ideas and making all these immediate changes. What do you do to quell any fears from the existing marketing team that you're going to come in and find and replace and bring in your old head of demand and bring in your old VP of product marketing? What do you do to help calm any of those fears that are, are warranted perhaps based on past experiences? I don't make any kind of declaration. I think what I do is I really just try to connect with people. Like I, I try to talk to them. I try to understand I try to get to know them. Like I want to know not just about your work life. I want to learn about your personal life. I want to know what makes you tick. And I'm a pretty direct, transparent communicator. And I don't have a great poker face. But if if somebody is talking to me and I see, let's say, there's something on their mind, like they're not up to now, I want to know. And I, I want them to be able to tell me. And I will ask directly. At the same time, if somebody chooses not to tell me for whatever reason, that's a choice that they're making. And I can't be a mind reader. So if they're not going to take the opportunity to express how they feel, if we're in a safe environment, one to one over, it's okay, if it's okay, not, it's fine, if it wasn't, if it didn't happen over on the first try, but if we're having second, third and fourth tries, and I'm not hearing it, well, that's tough. But on the same time, I think, if you are honest, and transparent, and direct, and you listen, and you have feedback, and you help and you support them, you support the people on your team, you're going to see that come back in terms of, are they happy here? Are they, do they have some concerns? Can we work through those concerns? Do they feel fulfilled? Is this the type of environment they want to be in? And then you move forward with that. So I think it's that some people will say player, coach, servant. And I think when you're in a startup environment, like you have to be a player coach. There's just no, you just can't sit back and just play leader manager, right? Like you have to dive in as well. Oh, wouldn't it be nice though, right? Just to sit back and just say, oh, here, here was the directive. Now y'all go do it. I have no accountability. I have no account. Yeah, you you go get it done. So it's really rolling up your sleeves and you say, how can I support you? How can I help you? Do you need some help? Let's ideate through this. Again, ideation comes in with me a lot. Let's talk through things and, and let's get you on a path moving forward. And so through that, I think they see that, okay, yeah, she's in, she's invest, she's, she's for real. And she's going to help me get to that next point that I need to get to. And, and injecting the the player into the coach also help. It just helps build that trust. If there's a lot going on and everyone is slammed and you as a CMO says, you know what, I can hop in and write that copy. I'll help you out with that. It's wow. Okay. Thank you. It helps build that trust. You had mentioned that depending on the stage of company that you're entering, there's a lot of nuances. 
Can you unpack that more for us? Yeah. And I think I'm learning this as well. And and I think it's changed, especially in the past 18 months where valuations are going through the roof. It's nuts. And you're seeing companies at revenue sizes, like half of what you're used to getting funding and valuations that are 10x or 20x what they should be. And you're just kind of like, really? Is that right? So what I mean by that is what used to be a, a series B company now feels more would be a series C company. And there's just a lot of, I think that the pot of funding has grown so much based on the value, like a seed round would net today would be considered as a round three years ago. And so with that comes expectation for growth and, and rapid growth, um, rapid scale and acceleration. But the core tenants of what you need to be as a company still exist. Do you still have, you might've received series A funding as a seed round, but do you still have product market fit? Do you have a good sales motion? Can you drive repeatability? In order to get scale, you need to drive repeatability. Do you even have the things in place to drive repeatability? So that really is important when you come in into a startup because you have to set the stage in terms of being that player coach. What things can we rapidly accelerate because we have to get more of the foundation down and then make sure that foundation really gets structure to it. And then you can build on top of it. And then you can build for scale. And I think just going through the process of thinking through that and saying, for a CMO in a marketing department, do you have the resources that you need? Do you have the people resources and then the spend the program resources? Can you be very flexible with that in terms of you know, how do you bring on immediate support and capacity and then reduce that as you maybe are able to bring in more FTEs? And think through that and just be very nimble and adaptive to the situation because it it is still fluid. It isn't like you're going into a $150 million company or $200 million company that has some very established, repeatable processes that clearly have proven to work. So I think just being nimble and just being really adaptive is, is super important. And then sharing that with your team. We have a lot of values that we talk through as a company that I really do love that productive has. And I think it, it just is true to the ethos of productive, but also the ethos of what a lot of startups need to have. And then there's what you bring to your individual teams. And, and it really is around driving that trust and transparency, but also being able to work with that sense of urgency. We might be going off tangent here, but one of the things I think, especially in the past year, especially during COVID, as we've been leading through that change, and then what it looks like, the new normal looks like now, you know, one of the things I, I definitely have seen as really important when you think about teams and people are who is intellectually curious? Like who is coming to that table with that intellectual curiosity and that desire to want to just not only do their job well, but just be intellectually curious so they can be better at it and just do their craft really well. And you need a level of intellectual curiosity. You have to have, and in a startup, you've got to drive with a sense of urgency. And then you've got to, you've got to be able to adapt and change as needed because not saying that your strategy should hold tight, but market dy- dynamics might, might fluctuate such that you've got to react to it a little bit faster or be a little bit more pro- proactive in seeing it coming. No question that you have been successful. Would you be willing to maybe tell us a story of a time when you screwed up and <laughs> you're like, Ugh, and what you learned from it, and maybe others can learn from it as well. 
Yeah, I'm, I know I've screwed up plenty. That's part of learning. I would say probably what I've definitely learned where I've made a mistake is, and I know I've really grown over the past few years on this, is the, the whole thing we were just talking about people and teams and, and establishing trust. Really understanding the employee's perspective, I think, is important. Yeah, you have to drive an agenda forward. Yeah, you have to come in and demonstrate and show quick wins. Yes, you have to establish yourself as a leader, but the people is what's going to make it happen. And I don't think I knew, or maybe I was naive on, especially when you're coming in as a CMO, when you're coming in as a C-suite and you're replacing somebody or you're in it for the first time, if there's a team that's there that let's even say somebody else built, you didn't hire them. And so you didn't go through the process of getting to know them and bringing them in. You have to know who they are and you have to respect the fact that they came in for a different leader. And people come and join a company, yes, because it's a great company, but also for their leader. Number one reason why people leave a company is probably because of their manager. And so I I would say that when in my previous role, I, I probably didn't take that into consideration enough. And I probably didn't take enough time to really understand the employee's perspective. And I and what I'm doing now and what I've been doing since then in building teams and building the team that I want and getting it to where I need to be. It's really just about taking the time to understand them and their perspective and what really drives and motivates them and, and what is really important to them. And I think that's certainly something I have I continually think about, work on, and, and make sure that I have time to self-reflect, I have time to be self-aware, and I have a time to make sure that I'm listening and, and, and making those key connections. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and talking about that. See, this is the good shit. This is what we like, where I guarantee there's <laughs> listeners right now being like, oh, yes, either either my new CMO doesn't listen to me, doesn't get me, or, oh, man, this is me. She just described me as a new CMO. So really appreciate that. My final question is... What do you wish that more CEOs understood about CMOs? It's tough. And I, I don't know if I just boil it to CEOs, but just in general, look, if any of marketing leaders out there, if you got 25 cents every time somebody told you a great marketing idea or, or what you should do for marketing, we'd have a piggy bank that's bursting, right? Like it would be seriously, lots of video games there. But I would say, you know, you have to think the CEO has to be really open to being able to have to be a strategic thought partner with your CMO, especially if your CMO is a, also a strategic minded CMO is somebody who is really can bring the power of let's think about the market, let's think about where the market is going, let's think about how what we need to do to go create our wedge in the market and our differentiation. Because a lot of times in startups, you hear CEOs ask for and say, we need to go build a category or we got to create a category. How many times do you hear that? You hear that a ton. Oh, my PR agency got to go create a category for us, right? Yeah. But do they really know what that means? And are they set up to go do that based on the solution that they're providing the problem, the product market fit, the problem that they're solving for and what's already out there. And so I think part of them sometimes feel when I get a CMO in, ah, I could just let them go figure it out and I'm good. And I could go focus on other parts of the business. And I think what they need to know is that, no, to truly drive the market growth and the company growth that you're looking for, 
think of your CMO as a very tight alliance partner with you. Get the most out of them. If you went off and just hired a CMO because they're great at demand gen, great. Then they're great at demand gen. They're going to go create pipeline for you and that's going to make your sales guy happy and fantastic. If you're hiring a CMO to go help you build and make a category and talk about penetrating into that market and what it's going to take and becoming the established leader in that and thinking about growth on that stage, then you need to have a strategic CMO who can bring that to you and let them go hire the key people they need to go run a fantastic demand gen program, right? To go have really solid product marketing, to go have really good field and events, but be that thought partner so that you can ideate with them so that you can create what that vision and mission is and that strategy is not just for year one, but year three, year five, et cetera. Well, Rashmi, this has been awesome. Is there anything that we didn't tackle that you want to make sure we discuss today? Yeah, no, I nothing that really, nothing else that really comes to mind. It was fun going through all the questions with you. Awesome. As we end every episode, I ask our guests if you have a signature or favorite toast to send us out. Ah, I guess I could. Uh, geez, I haven't said this one in a while. So we have our glass. So uh, it'll be in Spanish. So you could say arriba, abajo, acentro, padentro. Up, down, forward, back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you say raise your glass up, raise your glass down to the center and then take a sip. Aha. Uh-huh. I yes, there there's no visual, but there was a visual with that. I love it. I will certainly drink to that. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks again to Rushmi for joining me on SAS Half Full. It was great to have her on the show. Hopefully a few of you who are listening that might be thinking about taking the leap to a CMO learned a thing or two. Rashmi had received a very fancy cocktail kit from us that was so complicated to make that she hadn't made it yet, but she will. We can also send you a cocktail kit. All you have to do is go to shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full and you'll get 10 bucks off your first cocktail order. Folks, we'll send that directly to your door. You can enjoy it for the weekend. It makes a great client gift, whatever you want to use it for. We have you covered. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and bottoms up.